Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners, and I'm giving you my full name uh, this week because it's a duet of Chris's that are from Lace Partners today. I'm joined by the one, the only Chris Kirby, or has he just said off mic, yeah, you could introduce me as Lord Kirby if you want, but no, I think I'll just keep it as, a, as Chris for today. Chris, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Chris. <laughs> Throw you under the bus. Throw you under the bus before, just as the start <laughs> of the podcast. Great. No worries. No worries. So today, Chris, we're going to have a chat with Sam Isaac, who is the Senior uh, VP of Strategy, Senior Vice President of Strategy at Niamo. And the reason why we wanted to pick his brains, um, mainly uh, because you're our payroll guru and uh, I wanted to grab you and get you on this one but actually I've written a really interesting white paper and we'll put the white paper in the show notes for this 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 week's particular podcast but it's on some of the applications of emerging technologies in global payroll and I thought this was a really interesting topic when I was reading the white paper so I wanted to get Sam on just to get his views and some of the some some, some of the key topics but before we do that let's uh, let's bring him in and get him to talk a little bit about himself so Sam how are you doing sir Hi, Chris and Chris. Now I'm not going to attempt, uh, you know, pulling out the full name. <clears throat> Doing good. You'll have to bear with me in this conversation, like I said, in case, you know, my sore, uh, throat turns a little sore, but always a pleasure to engage with you. It's, it's great to have you on, Sam. It's really, really great to have you on. And we'll try to go nice and easy. And hopefully we'll, uh, as a thank you, we might even send you some throat lozenges or something um, <laughs> afterwards. So. I appreciate that, yeah. So, Sam, just tell us a little bit about your background. And then if you could just also tell us a little bit about Niamo and what, what you guys do at Niamo, just for our listeners. Sure. They call me the dreamer at Niamo, and I see no reason to complain. You will you know, see that tagline pretty much across all my social media handles as well. I'm practically day- daydreaming most of the time. Officially, though, uh, you know, pretty much like you introduced, I'm the senior vice president of strategy, and uh, I closely work with the executive and the leadership team in crafting growth strategies for the organization. So that's about me. Um, Niamo provides an um, organically native global enterprise payroll stack to multinational organizations. So we have our proprietary payroll stack that consists of uh, global payroll along with uh, the entire suite of uh, ancillary platform-based solutions, right? Like natively integrated time and attendance, uh, leave and absence, global benefits, compliance, payroll accounting, global payments and mobility, EOR, service desk, and of course, Employee Hub, which is uh, like your mini HRIS. So our stack is native. That's one of the key differentiators and it's global. So we have a fast growing, again, I keep using the word, you'll find me using the word native extensively. We have our you know native presence in about 40 countries from an infrastructure standpoint and our workforce are spread across 75 odd countries. And that ensures we have uh, unparalleled global coverage along with an ability to provide some sort of local delivery as well. Okay, cool. And so, so let's talk about the white paper that you guys wrote. Again, it's the applications of emerging technologies in global payroll. Can you just give us maybe a 
30 seconds, a minute or so, just overview as to what the white paper is about and also what the motivation was. Like, Why did you guys want to write about some of these, these emerging techs from a global payroll perspective? Sure. And when I was pondering about it, Chris, I kind of uh, liked the theme of your podcast it says HR on the offensive, right? And it's it when you when you look at that theme, it is positive. It sounds progressive. And while what I say may sound a little provocative, traditionally we find very often HR being on the defensive in their operating construct. So being on the offensive would mean that you have access to tools, technologies that enable you, that kind of empowers the HR organization. And that's what technologies are intended to do. That's what technologies are designed to do. Reality, however, is that technology doesn't always deliver what it should. So there is a design construct and there is a, you know, something like what they eventually end up delivering. Now, uh, if you look at payroll specifically, it's possibly uh, the most critical of all HR processes, right? And for obvious reasons, of course, when you put yourself on the employee's shoes, you're you know better able to appreciate that. And yet, the pace of evolution that we we kind of we witnessed in the payroll industry is almost archaic. You look at HR systems, the talent management suite of platforms, and then you look at the HR stack that I just mentioned early on, and you will notice stark difference in terms of how the progress in technology has been. While it's heartening to see uh, lots of action in this arena of late, possibly, you know, Chris Kirby will be able to vouch for it. And, uh, you know, and that's what we've tried to, you know, capture in our thought paper. This paper was an attempt to both reflect, for us to reflect, as well as, uh, you know, for the readers, you know, emerge as a tool and aid towards the adoption of emerging technologies in global payroll. Now, irony, of course, is that what's emerging today is going to be mainstream tomorrow. The pace in which technology uh, evolves is really rapid these days. And I'm sure you'll find all the technologies that we refer to in the paper in various cycles of evolution across the maturity curve. Some are early and some relatively late in the curve. And uh, today we are, you know, given the pace in which technology is evolving, we are compelled to run faster to be just in the same place. Yeah, it's interesting that you were just saying there about how depending on the different type of function, I guess, of the tech, from a HR and from, a, I guess, a people perspective, different parts within businesses are seen at different mm -hmm. stages. And obviously you talked about at times payroll seemed a bit as archaic. And from our perspective at Lace Partners, we talk a lot about cloud and right. cloud mm -hmm. migrations. And, you know, are you getting ready for cloud? Where are you on your journey to the cloud? And quite often we're talking about from a HCM perspective, but... Mm -hmm. You talk about in the white paper, you talk about cloud X. So just, I guess, for those people listening in who maybe have heard us talk about the cloud from a HCM perspective, just mm -hmm. expand on this sort of Niamo idea of cloud X with the, through the lens of, of a payroll, if you like, if that's all right. Sure, most certainly. Now, uh, the reference to X as a postfix to cloud is to underscore cloud as a force multiplier, right? Especially in the context of global payroll, or you look at any global solutions and you kind of uh, tend to appreciate what cloud can really do to the deployment and adoption of those solutions, right? Now, uh, cloud has really democratized the access uh, to technology. And if you look at our context, in Niamo's context, it extends to even the remotest employee in the smallest country, what we call as uh, tail of uh, the long tail 
of a multinational enterprise. So, you know, this won't really have been possible without cloud, if you, you know, really think about it. Now, cloud has really become the minimum baseline for any global system. I don't think you can really conceptualize a global system without, you know, having cloud strategy at the as your centerpiece. It has become a gateway to consuming best of what technology has on offer today, both emerging technology as well as uh, existing ones. And uh, if you look at cloud, uh, cloud is indeed highly transformational technology. And when it is, uh, and while it's much closer to becoming, you know, mainstream today, the DNA of the cloud itself, the innovations that you see in the cloud infra infrastructure, it's kind of happening at a very rapid pace. And the newer constructs, newer infra constructs continues to even evolve as we speak, right? When you look look into cloud specifically in, in you know the current day context, you you possibly you know you're looking at distributed cloud, you're possibly looking at server serverless computing, or you're looking at in you know certain B two C and increasingly enterprise context as well. Edge computing are some of the technologies that continue to challenge the way cloud native systems are architected and developed. For us at Niamo, it helps us that we are a white paper company. And when you don't have the burden of carrying technological legacy, when it's your proprietary systems that have been developed from scratch using you know, smart or agile approach, the ability to respond to technological changes and adopt to these advantages are phenomenal. So you know, it's basically your ability to provide more robust and better experiences to the you know, users eventually and sam i think that um maybe yeah, your your earlier point around um you know you're talking about hr on the offensive and how sometimes payroll is maybe a bit of an afterthought um and i think you're quite right when we when we look at um a product and, and look at solutions and emerging technologies that by their nature are born out of these you know modern cloud platforms and cloud base uh, uh, sorry based on the cloud you know, it stands to reason that actually you can build far more efficient and, and robust models uh, and, and products um, because you're not trying to retrofit anything at the same time. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, just you now one of the things I was going to ask, and maybe this is one actually, Chris, if you want to jump in, you can, but I'll, I'll start with Sam. How many businesses are actually, do actually have their pay, their payroll systems like utilizing, how many do utilize the cloud? From your experience, right. how many that you come across are actually leveraging this? Is it like most of them? Is it a very small percentage? Like how, who's the who are the big adopters? Right. Now, uh, like I said, in the context of global payroll, cloud becomes the minimum baseline, right? And that is the entire difference between legacy versus what we have at play today. You know, you need solutions that can operate and be accessible across the world operating at an enterprise scale. Now in today's world, being, being in the cloud is a given, right? So that's the minimum baseline. You wouldn't have a global solution without that. You look at all major HCM systems, they're on the cloud. And when they are on the crowd and cloud, sorry, and integration, when integration is becomes the key reason why you would want your payroll solution to be on the cloud as well. You want those systems to be talking to each other for example, uh, we've kind of invested extensively in building proprietary integration engine that allows automated bi-directional integration between the cloud HCMs as well as our local cloud-enabled systems, right? Now, that is one way to look at it. So those kind of certified integration adapters that allow your you know, various cloud-based systems to talk to each other, 
then that's, you know, when you have that, when you have your systems closely integrated, when basically there is a little bit of a pull factor when you have your cost, when let's say an organization has their core HRI systems on the cloud, uh, it, it has some sort of gravitational pull. Rest of the systems need to, you know, kind of uh, co-opt, co-adopt in that ecosystem. And when you have that, when you have a fully integrated ecosystem, it kind of uh, significantly reduces the system and data dependencies that you would otherwise see. And while the primary benefit is that of access across borders, and I think that is the key when it comes to a cloud-based system, other advantages could include things like ease of deployment. You know, think about the how painful earlier legacy deploying the earlier systems were versus how convenient it's become now to deploy a global system or a global solution. You know, you have centralized visibility and control. You have better fit in, into the ecosystem, like I mentioned earlier. We can basically conjure many use cases as a result of uh, systems being in this new architecture and part of the integrated cloud ecosystem. Yeah, and I think just to just just to add to that, I think I think the number there's been a, a number of surveys uh, commissioned by different uh, bodies over the last sort of decade, if you like, but but certainly more recently in that period. Um, and I think the last number was up to something between 50 and 60% of companies that have actually made the move. Now, clearly, th mm -hmm. that's not the entire industry, but it's pr a pretty standard number from what from from what I've seen. I think one of the more, and just to touch on what, what Sam was getting out there as well, one of the more, um, I guess, shocking facts to a certain extent is, I think it's closer to three quarters who still, three quarters of companies who have been surveyed. Um, who, who who sort of profess to be running multiple systems. So while there has mm -hmm. been to the cloud, it, it's part of a wide thing, or maybe they only move one part of something to the cloud and retained in-house systems, or or they maybe even have more than one cloud system. And you start to just build this complex landscape, even if you have moved to the cloud of multiple requirements, et cetera, et cetera. So Sam, j just, just to move off of the cloud then, I think moving on to one of the other the areas of the report, um, and there was a section on payroll data and analytics. Um, and in there, you mentioned uh, around the voice of the employee. Could you just mm -hmm. expand on that for us? You know, what are they and uh, what is the benefits to sort of HRDs? Well, uh, again, this is a relatively broad area, right? And I believe uh, different people have different ways of interpreting voice of employee. The most common interpretation, of course, is that of periodic employee survey responses that we get. But in a view, voice of employee can be collated through different touch points and across channels. Every single time an employee interacts with HR or an HR system, you find that employee lives behind their digital footprint, you know, data elements that can really reflect the experience of the employee. And some of this can be through explicit mechanisms by soliciting employee feedback after every transaction, you know, carrying out Pulse survey, for example. But often it is through indirect mechanisms. And then, you know, it's then important to collate and analyze that data, right? Now, just say uh, an employee had uh, raised a query. You know, why? Why did they have to? Right? Why wasn't it preempted? Is this an isolated case or is this a pattern or a trend? that's you know emerging across the organization you know more queries of similar type uh, did they get what they should have been looking forward you know for or how long did the response take uh, does their action match any pattern is there a red flag somewhere so these are the various questions uh, machine learning algorithms are, are designed to ask uh, 
And I think that's important. The more data you collect, you know, the more analysis you're able to make, you know, you're better, you're in a better position to interpret the voice of employee. And I think collating data across employees, HR interaction point is extremely critical. More data, the better. Yeah, agree. I, I guess um, it's really about getting to the root cause of some of the issues that we see rather than just dealing with the issues and knowing how many we've got, isn't it? And clearly from a HRD right. perspective, that enables focus on solving the the underlying problems as opposed to just, you know, almost fixing the symptoms to a certain extent. Yeah. There was um there there was a stat in that area of the report, Sam, um that, that said eighty three percent of payroll leaders have said that payroll analytics help them to achieve payroll accuracy and make informed decisions. Did that stat surprise you? I mean, it did surprise us, but possibly not in the way you would imagine. It's that seventy percent who felt otherwise that really surprised us, right? Because if you look at uh, the correlation correlation between good analytics and payroll accuracy, it is so strong and issue is not many organizations derive the right payroll insights by leveraging analytics you know uh, and a, a classic use case would be you know your uh, variance analysis payroll variance analysis which can really improve the accuracy of payroll from say 98 or 99 to 99.99% which is a huge leap and um, you know analyt- but if you look at the core construct of analytics uh, is essentially it boils down to technology and architecture combined with a rich data warehouse and and the application of right set of use cases as well. So eventually, application is the key. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you mentioned very briefly in there about I think you used the phrase not many companies are, are utilizing payroll analytics, you know, to its full extent. How many would you, if you had to put a number on it, how many would you say right. are fully making the most of those analytics? Right now, yeah, there was of course a stat uh, that was provided on the report as a result of the survey that was undertaken. Now, but when it comes to the industry at large, uh, you know, I may not have the complete visibility. But if we were to look into our customer base, I think a good number of them are trying to leverage uh, predictive analytics in the right form, including predictive and uh, prescriptive analytics. Uh, One, of course, because it comes uh, embedded as an integral part of our solution. And uh, two, uh, most of them, them, most of our uh, the customers that we work with are multinational enterprises, right? And uh, many a times they have already embarked in their HR transformation journey. So I think that's that's a fairly critical, you know, what you know, what degree of maturity you have in your HR processes. I think that will have a strong defining effect on the effectiveness of analytics. Yeah. Do you know what's interesting? Again, I'm just reflecting on that stat that Chris mentioned, and obviously you touched on the 83% of payroll leaders say that payroll analytics help them achieve payroll accuracy and make informed mm-hmm. decisions. I wonder if the 17% just don't really trust their own data and their own analytics right. enough. Absolutely. Um, and that's why they are perhaps that 17%, if they were given accurate data and mm-hmm. if they trusted their data enough to make those decisions, I wonder if that'd be close to 100%. But I guess I guess we'll never know. What I want to do is I want to move mm-hmm. us on, obviously, to this podcast. I want to move the podcast on to talk about the next section, which was actually around RPA. And this is one that I'm quite interested in because people have been talking about RPA for what basically, to me, feels like about a decade, not just in 
not just maybe I don't know about payroll as much as Chris and you do, Sam, but certainly in my sphere in marketing, in HR, across many different types of business industries, lots of people talk about RPA and the impact that it's going to have. But what I'd really love to know from your perspective, Sam, and and certainly in terms of this Mm -hmm. white paper, your client base as well, is like how many payroll functions actually are embracing RPA to any kind of effectiveness. Is this just another one of those things like many sectors and many functions where lots of people are talking about it, but nobody's actually doing it? So if you look at RPA, I think it's rapidly becoming a part of mainstream business operation across industries. Now, when we look you know, at payroll specifically, right, what we witness is more of uh, islands of automation and less of a structured RPA interventions the way you would you know, traditionally interpret it. Now, where RPA may work best uh, is in case where you know, there are high volumes of data processed, for example, in case of shared service centers or for deployment of uh, service providers like us, you know, which kind of handles large, large volume of data. Now, for us, we have real use cases. We see those benefits. But when it comes to a customer, I think what they really need is convenience, they need reliability, they need accuracy, and some degree of flexibility. And in a managed payroll, outsource managed payroll context, or when you are, unless you are doing high volume payroll processing in-house, I think a structured set of, of automation interventions combined with you know all of those traits that I mentioned should uh, effectively meet customers' needs. That's my personal view. So what you're saying is if you're working with Niamo, then you're kind of getting involved with RPA anyway. You just might not know it as well. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. One of the things I just want to touch on before I'll hand over to Chris, because again, I think he wants to talk about AI, which again, another thing that I find fascinating um, for very similar reasons to RPA actually, is um, you talk about, you give a stat in there, 85% clients look at an average reduction in need of payroll audits. And what you talk about is Mm -hmm. straight through processing. So could you talk about, just give us an overview as to what that is for a simple person who's not a payroll expert, I I will hold my hands up and how that actually helps to reduce the need for payroll audits as well. Sure. Now you will have to excuse me, you know, but I'll put a spotlight once again back into, you know, what we are doing here at Niamo, right? We are working towards a vision of 100% touchless payroll. While it may sound uh, aspirational, it is at this point in time, at least. And that is our definition of a complete STP or straight through processing. Now, in pursuit of that goal, we are uh, developing and deploying multiple interventions. So you are talk, you need to look at you know series of smart automations, extreme automations, and of course, it kind of leverages uh, robotics and AI as well. Now, when you look in the context of payroll, you know the errors are costly. So our entire intent is to reduce the cost in terms of error correction. You know, there is a uh, interesting data from IRS that says, uh, because, you know, you were referring to percentages, uh, 33% of employees make payroll errors costing billions of dollars annually in US alone, uh, it says. So now payroll mistake mistakes harm your business from a net revenue perspective, but uh, they really hurt your employees even more. And many of these errors are manual. It occurs as a result of oversight of manual handshakes in transferring data from one system to another. Our approach to STP is to basically three aspects, right? Integrate, automate, and validate. Now, when you have a completely integrated ecosystem, when you eliminate manual interventions, uh, and when you enable system-enabled checks and balances, 
you know, series of toll gates within the system, that's when you get kind of a pathway to STP. Many of the manual errors uh, when caught, caught early in the cycle can be rectified, eliminating the need for downstream audits. That's our uh, point of view. And I think STP helps, you know, kind helps us get there. It kind of helps eliminate the need for downstream audits as well. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> I, I just got what before I move on to to the AI, but I just got one one more sort of question on that, and it's I guess around the the softer side. So away from the mm -hmm. technology itself, thinking about um, STP and and how we can you know implement that and and make it work. One of the things I think that's been quite a key restrictive factor on that can be the complexity that that it needs to deal with. Um, and I think, I think a lot of the technology we see is more than capable of handling, I don't want to use the word simple, but the more straightforward, you know, basic vanilla, if you like, transactions and, and decisions and calculations. It's when you get to 12 different flavors of the same thing, for example, where straight through processing becomes a lot harder and mm -hmm. much more an issue. Do you find that with, with, your, with your customers or, or is that not so much of an issue? No, absolutely. I think uh, you hit the nail on its head, right? When you holistically look at STP, you need to factor in upstream processes like input preparation. You know, that's a very critical part. And then you need to factor in downstream processes outside of your core gross net, like compliance and payroll journaling, mostly G uh, general ledger, but also your cost accounting. <laughs> And in a global operating construct, when you factor multiple multinational enterprises, multiple jurisdictions, multiple business units, multiple cost centers, and multiple operating models, well, you get the idea. Like you said, the complexity just amplifies. And we strongly believe there is a pathway to 100% STP, but then there is still a long you know, catch up that needs to be done. And I think we are making significant progress, but this will be an interesting space to watch to you know, really assess 100%, you know, straight through processing a truly touchless payroll kind of scenario. Yeah, absolutely. I love I love ambition, Sam. <laughs> uh, so so just to move back to the, the white paper then. So so as Chris as Chris mentioned, there's a section in there on on AI and this is and can be such a broad subject. So have you got what are some of the key enhancements that you you've sort of seen in the payroll space with regard to AI and what, what do you sort of see businesses using it for at the moment? You know, there's a general view and there is an industry specific view, right, in our context. Now, what we are seeing is increasing adoption of AI almost everywhere. Now, its adoption is generally a factor of how global payroll systems have been designed and deployed in our context. But at the root of it, it's all about collating data points, right? And then comes the actual interpretation of the data collated. So you need to look at it in two aspects. One is how do you collate right data sets across different touch points? And then what do you do with those with the data that you've collated? The role of, uh, if you look at the different aspects in which we've seen mature adoption of AI, the role of AI in user support is well, well established. I, I think across industries, not just in payroll, but in payroll specifically, the pre-payroll data integrity and accuracy is an area where I think AI can play a material role, especially in global operating constructs. So when you have a single global layer data collated across you know different user units user and business units across the globe i think you know when you're looking at the data at a global scale ais definitely have a, a material role to play the application of machine learning algorithms can make intelligent decisions based on pattern matching 
you know, aggregating data sets to identify potential anomalies and either proactively address it or uh, flag it to have it rectified. Now, in our solution ar architecture specifically, you see that we have a unified global layer and that gives uh, our alg the algorithms a larger canvas to play. So I think it's it eventually boils down to that. So what kind of canvas do you have? What sort of use cases you are able to you know, conjure and how do you test those hypotheses and eventually get your algorithms, put your algorithms to work? Absolutely. And, and I, I think that's back to the, the elephant in the room again, isn't it? Around complexity. The more complex the, the going in point, the, the, the more complex the process. Right. So just one quick one as well. Within the AI section, you were talking about when to use APIs and when not to in relation to payroll. Can you just give us a little bit of context um, from that section of the report, please? Sure. If you look at the interdependencies across systems, especially in you know the construct of global payroll, the need for the systems to coexist as a part of the larger global payroll ecosystem, you find that APIs do appear to be the way to go in the foreseeable future. They, they have come to be the most essential and basic elements of collaboration among digital business platforms, right? Be it enterprise applications or consumer applications. And you have so many examples that we use on a day-to-day -day basis, be it an Uber application that we use or, you know, Google Maps across other different, uh, you know, uh, consumer apps that we you know pull data from so apis do allow data transfers to be controlled in a seamless and almost instantaneous way now getting specifically into your question while api may be the preferred route uh, given the advantages it may not be the default route uh, like you said for addressing all integration needs one of the you know for one the source system has to be ready and that's not you know always the case especially when you're looking at a global ecosystem with so many different you know players and so many different systems at play to in certain scenarios data transfer may be low volume or low frequencies um, again in such contexts we may as well adopt easier to implement alternatives to api like like uh, batch processing through file transfers eventually those uh, constructs may change but at least at this point in time we feel you know that's possibly the better way to go so we're just nearing towards the end of this podcast and uh, there's lots of parts of the uh, white paper which we've not included actually and what i'll do is as i said at the start we'll put something in the show notes for the other sections um, that you guys talk about but let's focus on blockchain because this one again like ai it feels like it's a bit of a buzzword not just in the payroll space but everywhere so i guess my main question is how is blockchain really being used in a payroll sense and you talk about how how can it actually make people's lives easier and in the report it talks specifically about how you know when you have blockchain payroll systems across different continents for example so can mm -hmm. you just give us a bit of a flavor around that like the use of blockchain sure if you look at the root of it blockchain is also about data you know the protocol that governs it the data blocks the distributed ledger and the resultant immutable record are all building blocks of blockchain, right? What we've done is we've kind of explored the application of blockchain, specifically, specifically blockchain in HR extensively. And we firmly believe that the mass adoption of blockchain has to be a result of quote unquote ecosystem. Now, that's one of the reasons why we are closely collaborating with Velocity Network Foundation as one of its early members, given that it is a massive consortium-based approach that has uh, participation of 
leading global HR technologies and service providers. Uh, if you look at Velocity specifically, uh, and I would recommend having someone from them in one of your talk shows possibly, they are building one of the most elaborate uh, HR blockchain utility layer. In my personal view though, I think uh, the three broad areas around application of blockchain are one, your self-sovereign identity and data exchange. That's what we are collaborating with Velocity uh, Network uh, with. Then second, application of smart contracts. And finally, no guess required, the cryptocurrency as a form of uh, payment, right? I wish, uh, you know, I could possibly, you know, walk through all of these uh, three constructs, but it kind of, uh, you know, pretty much uh, explains, you know, the benefits are almost self-explanatory when it comes to bead payments or application of smart contracts in certain cases, like specifically compliance, or eventually uh, the lowest hanging fruit is possibly your, you know, the use cases around self-sovereign identity. What uh, we believe is, uh, uh, you know, um, one, blockchain makes uh, data immutable. That's, that's a given. It provides uh, trust in an untrusted environment, and it also eliminates the need for a trusted central authority. I think that makes all the difference, and that is the core proposition. If you really look, if you were to you know, s summarize the key drivers, I think uh, a multifunctional digital employee wallet is going to be an import is going to be important in this context. We've kind of tested it out. We've uh, see it played around with different use cases. So adoption of a wallet, I think that will greatly accelerate the pace of adoption um, of blockchain and make it more mainstream. And of course, uh, that's an area where we are already investing. We are experimenting, and we'll possibly have. Uh, more news to share with you in due course of time. Thanks for that, Sam. I have just one more question on this, and I'm going to put you on the spot. And I promise I'm not going to come back to you in 20 years and say you were right or you were wrong. But for all the reasons you just outlined, and as a sort of payroll person, you know, the, the control and the, the security that blockchain gives and, and provides is something clearly that sparks my interest and, and makes me quite excited about the future. Do you see the potential in it? in 10 years, 20 years time, that actually blockchain can replace fundamentally HCM tools as they exist today. So the, the, the principle of, you know, an employee, rather than holding all that data in a solution on a cloud somewhere that's owned by a company and their security networks, actually just grants that company access to their block on a chain uh, and the, the system's able to pull everything or, or sorry, a mechanism is able to pull everything in, in that way. Do you see that? I appreciate that's quite a drastic way of thinking, but do you see that as a possibility? I do, in fact, uh, and of course, uh, you know, the timelines are anybody's guess, right? But like I said earlier, uh, blockchain is about ecosystem. You really can't be a lone actor with capabilities that will make the material difference. It has to be a consortium-based approach. And uh, you know that's where our collaboration with Velocity Networks come, comes into play as well. We see a lot of action is already happening there, and we expect to see some viable use cases in other areas of HR, possibly not in payroll, but there will be a set of viable use cases, you know, some sort of minimum viable product emerging uh, within the next year or so itself. Uh, that's uh, our take. Now, the global payroll ecosystem today isn't uh, fully ready to support the performance and scale that will be needed in a blockchain world. You know, there, there are those three broad areas that I did mention earlier. But uh, yeah, 
blockchain does offer flexibility, it offers transparency, it provides convenience for both employer and the employee globally, but it's uh, still away from being mainstream. But to answer your question, Chris, uh, if you were to read Gartner's hype cycle for HCM Technology 2020, you know, um, then blockchain in HCM is uh, still at the very early stage of what it calls as innovation trigger, meaning it's more than 10 years for it to become fully mainstream. But in my view, I think uh, we will start to see some viable uh, business cases, micro applications in two years or lesser. But yes, blockchain becoming mainstream is a factor of ecosystem and that may be more than five years away. Mm. The, it, it's the way you were kind of setting that up there, Chris, as you said, as a bit of a, a cliffhanger. So just to wrap up is basically game changer for everything that we're doing. This isn't just payroll, this is everything. Um, and that's what I find quite fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. And Sam, it's been really, really good having you on. Thank you very much for giving us some of your wisdom and insight on the white paper and some really interesting topics that, again, kind of we've, we've focused on them from a payroll perspective today. But as we've just touched on there, there are topics within that that I think, you know, there'll be the wider, you know, HR function uh, potentially mm-hmm. could be looking at and saying, you know, this this is something that that could impact us. I mean, we've just touched on blockchain and also RPA and, and AI as well. So thank you very much for, for joining us today. It was a pleasure talking to you and thank you so much for hosting me. And of course, uh, to all listeners as well for uh, bearing with me. And thankfully, my throat uh, didn't really break that much. I'm you glad we had this conversation. You did perfectly yeah. fine. Thank you. you did perfectly fine. Thank you for powering through. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for joining me. As always, partner in crime. Most enjoyable. Thanks very much, Chris. A duet of Chris's uh, from Lace Partners there. This has been the HR on the Offensive podcast, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.